Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This week's episode is sponsored by Logan Arch. Logan Arch is the place to go if you're looking for geeky accessories that also feel a little bit nostalgic. So Pokemon fans, there's definitely something for you. They have pins, apparel, bags, stickers, office goods, basically everything you could want. And it's all well-designed and nerdy and reminds you of your childhood faves, which is something I absolutely love. To start shopping, you can head to loganartschicago.com or follow them online at loganartschicago. Before today's episode, we have a couple of things to let you know about. First, we're so excited to interview E.K. Johnston for today's episode. She's the author of Queen's Shadow and Ahsoka, and her latest book, Queen's Peril, came out on June 2nd. We originally planned to have this episode come out the same day as the book release, which we talk about in the episode, but due to all of the things happening in the world last week and protests for Black Lives Matter, we decided to hold off releasing the episode to leave space for more important conversations. And so that explains why uh, we're talking in the past in the episode. But the good news is that her book is already out. So you can shop wherever you shop for books. And we will leave all the links to where you can find all of E.K. Johnson's books and her social and where she is on the internet in the show notes. So you can head there to find all of that. We also have a few Patreon supporters to thank. If you want to support this podcast and the magazine and the online hangout and all of the things happening at the Sartorial Geek, you can head to patreon.com slash sartorialgeek and we will love you forever. So thank you to Natasha, Elizabeth, Aaron, Caitlin, Sarah, and Kira. We really appreciate all of your support and we hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, welcome to the Sartorial Geek Podcast. I'm Jordan Ellis of Jordan Denae, and I am so excited for a Star Wars-filled episode today. I have Annalise Ophelian from the Looking for Leia series and E.K. Johnston, who is the author of such Star Wars books as Queen's Shadow and Queen's Peril, which is coming out soon. Hello, both of you. Hey. I feel like this has been the month of Star Wars from like May the 4th and then all the anniversaries, and I'm so excited about all of this. It's definitely been a lot. Like I, I was thinking about like, I'm doing a rewatch party of the Phantom Menace this weekend. And I was like, everyone literally just finished rewatching the Phantom Menace. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true though. In May, it always feels like high holy days for Star Wars. Like it's, it's that. And then like, you know, when we get Force Fridays and there's that sense of just like, ah, all of the things. But yeah, this May in particular, I was really feeling the anniversaries more than usual. Yeah. Well, and we need something. And like, what better time to uh, escape to fantasy lands when we're all kind of stuck at home? So I totally get it. We're all all at home staring at a screen and at a calendar. So yeah, it makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. And you both actually have met before 
Um, well, okay. Let me let me do a real a proper introduction. Annalise, will you talk about <laughs> your project, Looking for Leia, for anyone who's never heard of it? You and bet. Kind of explain what that is. Yeah, Looking for Leia is a seven-part docu-series about women and also non-binary fans of the galaxy far, far away. We are on Sci-Fi Wire, uh, so you can watch us right now at uh, sci-fi.com slash looking for Leia. Internationally, we're available on YouTube. Um, and it's really just a sort of exploration of the ways that fans take these stories that they love and then keep creating with them outside of the two hours that they're engaging with the screen. So we've got folks who are droid building, folks who are writing fic, um, crafting and doing um, fashion, but then also like just the sort of personal significance and the ways that these stories impact our sense of self and the ways that we connect with others. I love it. And I know you said this, but like everyone can watch it right now, which is very cool. What a time, what a time to get new, awesome content. It's great. And then you two actually met previously because of looking for Leia, right? I think we actually met before. Really? Looking for Leia. We were oh, at, cool. we were at a bunch of, we were at a bunch of cons at the same yeah. time. And you were fairly recognizable at the time, Annalise, because you had like a gigantic camera and like 14 people following you around <laughs> <That's with various laughs> So I think it's I think it's possible that like I was aware of who you were before we did the thing in San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that is possible. And also like, I clearly was aware of who you were and was super excited to have the chance. It's always so hard to actually connect with people working at cons too. So I yeah. love that you found some time because it's, you know, at the time too, um, Queen Shadow had not been announced. So you, no, with you were, you were my last interview before mm-hmm. I could announce Queen Shadow. And when you scheduled it, I almost said you might want to schedule it for this day instead. <laughs> and then yeah. I was like, no, everyone's schedules are nuts enough as, as it is. If this is the time, this is the time we'll just roll with it. It'll be one of those things we laugh about later. But, um, it was, you were my last interview before, before yeah. they announced. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> so was Ahsoka your first Star Wars book? Yes, it was. Awesome. And it's such a good book. Thank you. It's really, it's so, this is, I, I think, you know, so we're having this conversation because I shamelessly inserted myself into <laughs> Kate's mentions on Twitter <laughs> because it is, it is arguable that I have horrible Twitter manners. Um, to be and, fair, I did request people throw themselves at me. Yes. Yeah, so, so there was some informed consent. There was a like, okay, yeah. throw yourself. And then I was like, here we go. Um, because I love listening to storytellers talk about the way that they craft story as a, as a non-fictionalist in particular, I'm always like, yes, fictionalists tell me about the way you do things. Um, so I was basically like, yeah, I would listen to Kate, you know, talk about anything. But then also if I get to just be here and occasionally throw questions her way as well, that would be super exciting. Yeah. And then I was, uh, I have seen, I see a lot of like people posting what they're reading and it has been all your books every time they come out. So this was like the coolest thing <laughs> ever for me. Um, so this is like, this is so exciting. I think it's just exciting for everybody at this point. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you have two Star Wars books out already and Queen Spiral yeah. is coming out soon. June 2nd. Yeah. I was going to say June. Oh, super yeah. soon. Like five yeah. Days. yeah. It's so Excellent. exciting. So like that might be actually the day this episode comes out. Uh, so that's awesome. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Then <laughs> That's great. Can I just say, Kate, thank you on behalf of all people trapped in the ridiculous 
limbo that is the world right now for the particular kind of content that you have been generating in the ramp up to Queen's Peril. It oh has been God. so amazing. I was watching, especially just like the, the Queen's Peril hashtag and everybody's amazing this is what i have in my house i'm gonna whap together a padme with this yeah it was incredible and i have to tell you i like the first thing i did was panic obviously (laughs) like um the border is closed i can't do anything like what am i gonna do for this book Mm -hmm. and then about three days later i realized that um the star wars fandom was going to be there anyway Um, and so they were going to support me that it wasn't like, it wasn't just going to be me like launching this book into a void. Um, and because I knew that I was able to reach out to other authors who have books coming out on June 2nd, because there's a bunch of us in the YA community who do, um, and help them with their book promotion. So in a lot of ways, not only has the Star Wars fandom really been been here for me in the past few months, but it's also sort of they've done so much work and the power of their enthusiasm has been so great that it's allowed me to sort of pay it forward and help out other authors who have books coming out at the same time, which is also fantastic. It might be one of the things I'm the most proud of us as a group for ever doing um, because it's it's something that I'm sure the people putting those costumes together weren't really thinking about, right? They were just thinking about like, Oh, you know, I found this in my closet. I'm going to take a picture and put it on the internet. But my Twitter feed for four days was people aggressively complimenting each other. (laughs) (laughs) It was my birthday that week. So like (laughs) unintentionally, like given myself the best birthday present of all time, and then by the time all of the entrances, uh, entries had come in and like everything, I was in like, I was just able to pay forward that positive energy um, in a time when it's very difficult to do that. So major shout out to Star Wars fandom right now, because you're not only helping like yourselves and our own community, but there's tendrils springing out all over the place. And I really, really appreciate it. I love that. And that's, this is all a part of the hashtag to June to launch day, which I've been yeah. following. And I know I've definitely gotten a lot of YA titles on my radar that I wouldn't have had otherwise because of the way that there is that like beautiful kind of mutual uplift, um, happening among authors. And it's, it makes me think, I, I think a lot of creators had their plans really derailed this year, right? Oh, like totally. a lot of us were planning on, you know, looking for Leia had a whole convention plan and that was, you know, our kind of, this is our, our moment after all of the filming to connect with people in a way that's really organic and very different than connecting with folks on social media. Um, and yeah, so it's, I, and I've certainly been talking with other, um, author friends and colleagues of mine about particularly people with debut novels that were scheduled for this year about just how hugely impactful it is. Um, and so, yeah, like, I, I wonder, Kate, if you, I, cause one of the things I wanted to talk with you about was like what it's like to make this adjustment to at a time when we need stories so much also, right? Like you are, you are providing this tremendous service by create, by giving us stories at a time when we, we really need them. Um, but maybe like other ways that folks in, um, the kind of audience land can be, joining in and supporting the creators that we love um, so that there's 
I don't know, just something to fill in the, the void that we lost with the convention circuit this year? Well, I know a lot of authors have uh, have turned to Instagram and Facebook Live in a big way. Um, mm-hmm. And Instagram has changed the entire way that you post live stories. They used to only be up for 24 hours, but now they save to your IGTV automatically. Um, so I have been able to go to book events that I would never have been able to go to because it's, you know, two of my friends, one of whom is in North Carolina, one of whom is in Georgia, talking to each other as having a book event on Instagram. And I'm not sure what exactly that does for sales, because <laughs> uh, we're not going to know any of that stuff for a while. But in terms of community and engagement and the idea of um, being able to reach out to things, um, it's very much helped. I think a lot of people sort of find the mental fortitude and the emotional fortitude because they can they can experience these things. Um, this coming weekend, which will be this past weekend by the time uh, this this is posted, BookCon, for example, moved their mm-hmm. entire schedule online. I've never been to BookCon. I have always wanted to go to BookCon. And this year, I'm probably going to check some of it out because yes. it's, um, it's on Facebook. And I've been thinking about it a lot because it has very much upped accessibility for people who can't travel um, for financial or physical reasons. Um, one of the authors in, uh, to June to launch day is in Mauritius, which I had to look up on a map and I'm pretty good at geography, but it's like, off, <laughs> it's like off the coast of Madagascar. So, um, and like, there's no way she would be able to do panels, but we got her on a couple because they were being filmed online. We had to sort out some time zone shenanigans, but like we, we made it work. And so I think nothing is going to having, having personally experienced the best of both worlds, like the rush of walking into a bookstore that's full of people who love the book and love the character as much as you do. Um, and also done the panels. I don't think we're talking in terms of replacement, Mm. but in terms of augmentation, definitely Mm. it's been very, very nice. I totally agree that like this is not the same, but I do love that in some ways, some things are more accessible. Like that's been something cool for me as a fan, being able to have like virtual live interactions with authors in a way that is really hard. Like you mentioned, like it is hard for people to get to conventions sometimes or all the time. So I think that's a really cool, I appreciate all the creators who are, like finding ways to connect with fans, even though this is all crazy. Um, I think there are a lot of fans who are like able to get connections that they wouldn't otherwise be able to, which has been really cool to watch. Yeah. And, and I hope, um, well, my private hope anyway, my personal hope is that this becomes part of the formula going Mm -hmm. forward. Like not the whole formula or like a tiered variation on the formula, but like, that'll get added in like, Oh, and PS, there's going to be this virtual event that, you know, you can see no matter where you live and no matter what time it is, <laughs> um, that, that sort of thing I think would be fantastic. And we're, we're figuring it out and humans, I'm an archeologist, so I'm about to get anthropological on you, but, um, humans have always done that. Like that's how they respond to stress as they invent shenanigans and keep going anyway. Um, and And then when the stress is over, they sort of stop for a minute and then like pick up the pieces they want and keep going. And I hope that we do that again. (laughs) Mm. 
Me too. Yeah, I can feel that. I know when we were, um, we started filming at Star Wars Celebration in Orlando. So that was 2017. Mm -hmm. And um, it was my second or third celebration at that point. But it was also the celebration that I went to that I did not attend at all because we were filming the entire time and it was just bedlam. Um, but there were, you know, I also selfishly wanted to see the big, you know, the first panel of the day and also wanted to keep my, you know, tiny scrappy crew and all of our heavy gear out of the entrance lines to the, um, you know, to the kind of convention center the first thing every day. So we would kind of wait until like after 12 p.m. to enter in. So we, I, I went to Star Wars Celebration Orlando from the Hyatt across the street from the convention center <laughs> from our hotel room watching the whole thing. Um, but in part because Celebration has like a really great live stream, right? Like I I have partaken in a lot of Star Wars Celebration from the live stream and loved it. And granted, a part of what you love is getting to watch the the live event energy Mm -hmm. in those especially big rooms. Um, But I do think about conventions in particular that I've just not had the energy or the kind of physical capacity or the material resources to attend. And particularly the, the big ones where it's not as much fan generated content and those, um, production organizations have the resources to still put the content on for us. Um, just in a kind of, again, like radically different way, it's not going to replace it, but it'll provide something new that I think folks could really, um, you could be really unifying. Um, and so I, I get, I think, you know, there's that moment where we're all in various states of shock and going through like all of the stages of grief at once. And then as we sort of navigate through that and figure out, okay, like with our kind of new normal, how are we, how are we still creating? I look forward to seeing those opportunities and, and yeah, your point about being able to participate, um, without having to travel is, is huge. It's huge for access on so many levels. Um, And I mean, like I was in my pajamas, like curled up in bed, I'm pretty sure when the Ahsoka cover was released because (laughs) Dave Filoni and Ashley Eckstein did it on the panel at London celebration. So like I, there was like a whole ocean and I was able to watch the whole panel. And then at the end they were like, PS, here's your book cover. And I was like, yay. But I could yeah. hear the people in the room and that was really cool. Yeah. yeah. But since then I've been to celebration a couple of times and like, it's, it's not the same. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so I think there's definitely like the creativity that people are showing right now. Um, and the sort of ingenuity has been fascinating. And I hope that, um, those people are, you know, given their due when, when their ideas are adopted and we all move forward. One of the things that I really appreciated when I first learned about your books is in my, um, my interactions with star Wars fans, I feel like there is, I feel like there is like a sadness for lack of, Padme like acknowledgement or like excitement and there are absolutely fans and I feel like there's been this like I wish we had more and so I think it's so cool that your books are like a way for fans to get more um that's is there yeah yeah sorry <laughs> oh, no, I was just gonna say that's definitely been a huge part of it like the and I was one of those fans like I remember yeah. um like 
uh, every, every once in a while, there will be a review or something and be like, and, and did you know that Kira Knightley plays Sabe? And I was like, right. man, every once in a while, I forget that like <laughs> not, not everybody spent the early 2000s with at the library with every entertainment magazine they could come across and a magnifying glass trying <laughs> to like trying to piece together who these girls were and um so it, it's been it's been really funny um because it's always it's always Kira Knightley uh oh, who's it's always like it's always Kira Knightley and then Rose Byrne and I'm like but they weren't even in the same movies like mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> um and and so it's it's very much like uh the the people that you remember I find or the people that most most fans remember but there's always been people who were here for the Padme content and we've we've had mm. you know little bits and pieces the Clone Wars was great um but there's never been something that was like entirely Padme focused. Like I will and have on occasion before argue that um, Padme is the protagonist of the Phantom Menace. Um, And Anakin is basically like a side quest that they pick up on the way. Mm -hmm. Um, And which is is a non-controversial opinion. This is a (laughs) non-controversial opinion. You'd be surprised. So so I got to write in some things that uh, were mentioned about Padme, like the Bromlark situation um, and a few other things. But with Queen's Peril, I kind of get to go back to my not quite childhood dream, late teenage dream of, of writing the Phantom Menace from her point of view and from the point of view of the handmaidens. And it's not entirely the Phantom Menace. It's like the Phantom Menace is like the last quarter of the book, maybe. Um, but I got to do all of the lead up to that and sort of really dig into the politics of Naboo about one of the things that I had always wondered about because I was a weird kid was how a planet like Naboo could go from like relatively normal to the people are starving in like a week. Um, and so it was, it was interesting to me to sort of sit down and pick apart the nuts and bolts. And then, and I describe it usually as like a puzzle from 1999 that doesn't have a picture on the box and people have been throwing random pieces into it, uh, since 1999, but no one's ever put it all together. So I got to at least put part of it together, um, which was really fun. I have to just like express that the notion of any part of the Phantom Menace from Padme's POV fills me with a general sense of like, <laughs> like there's just like a loud <laughs> screeching sound inside my body that I feel like I want to be able to share. Um, that's, that's nice. You get other people's POV too. There's, yes, yes, I believe lot. it. There's and much lot. more than the Phantom Menace. Like I hear yes. all the things you're saying, but anytime we get that lens shift, anytime that we get to see a story, I mean, it's one of the things I love about fic actually is that you get to retell events from different perspectives from another point of view. Yeah, from another even point of view. I, can't, I, can't, I, I swear I used to say that like a normal person. And now yeah. every time I say the words can't. from another point of view, I just yeah. like, I'm just like, oh, I play with God. my goatee every time I say it. I just, I, I don't have a goatee, but like, I do yeah, gently exactly. stroke it every, every time, time I say it. <laughs> Um, so one of the things that I had wanted to ask you about, Kate, um, and this actually is on the heels of we, you were extremely kind and gave me 20 minutes on camera and um, at San Diego Comic-Con in 2018 and joined really like 90 incredible women who live in hard drive form who didn't actually end up with material and looking for Leia. So when I say that, like, we have such rich and amazing content sitting on hard drives, I am not I am not. It is not hyperbole. But you, were, you were talking about um, cheekily because I was your last 
Ahsoka interview before this was announced. And I, I listen to it now and I'm like, you were laying down a path. Um, but you talked about your entry point. Like we were talking about your entry point and your faves and what Padme meant to you. And so I'm wondering if you wanted to share a tiny bit of that. But I also had a really specific question about um, the sort of fandom phenomenon of headcanon, essentially. Right. And the role that that plays when you are writing a thing, because you've brought things to Padme's character that I feel like satisfy a huge amount of headcanon for readers. And in many cases, like things I didn't even know, like I did not know that I needed Padme's wardrobe to be like super, super functional. And I didn't know that I needed Dorme to basically be like the cue of the handmaidens <laughs> like, coming up with like, you know, like this, it's like the, this fashion is not just for pretty. It's like wickedly useful. Um, like those little details feel so significant. So I was just, I was curious about how much of your own daydream since you had had a life, a, you know, your like teenage and adult life to daydream about Padme um, get to come into the writing for you. Well, the way that I usually describe Padme, because uh, people always ask if Ahsoka is my favorite character, and I have to be like, well, <laughs> uh, the way that I, I usually describe my my relationship with, with Padme is um, there's a, a thing in the Doctor Who fandom um, where people will say, like, they'll refer to the first Doctor they saw as their Doctor. And mm -hmm. it's um, it's not necessarily... It's not always their favorite doctor, but it's the, the doctor who sort of shaped their view of Doctor Who, of the whole show itself. Oh, oh. And for me in Star Wars, Padme is my doctor. Um, because even though I had watched the original trilogy as a small child, um, when it was literally my 15th birthday, we went to see The Phantom Menace. And I was like, this movie was for me specifically mm -hmm. like George Lucas somewhere in California was like, what would that Kate girl like for her birthday? <laughs> and gave me the perfect star Wars movie. Mm -hmm. And, um, with, with Padme at the, at the center of it. And she was just so much fun and she was so interesting and I'd never seen another character like her. And I had never seen another character have that many friends who were also girls. Mm -hmm. Um, and also good at all the same stuff she was. So that was like a revelation for me. Um, and then as the fandom grew up around her, it was predominantly female, not entirely, but predominantly female. And there was a lot of, um, a lot of work went into finding out who those actresses were and um you know what other parts they had played and what they're because they're never named on screen but they're named in the books later and like all that kind of stuff um and a tremendous amount of work went into like making that information available and the fandom kind of grew up around that and so when i sat down to write the book um i had to be very sort of overly cautious i think that i wasn't like stealing it <laughs> stealing anything um it was impossible not to tap into the group mind yeah, but yeah. um it i very much had to sit down and be like okay this is sort of like a broadly accepted thing in fandom it's not one person's specific headcanon um and so i kind of got to go through and and pick out the stuff that i wanted and um the one in particular was her voice mm. um which fandom had always assumed or the 
the Padme fandom had always assumed was a deliberate construct so that Amidala sounded different from Padme and also different from Sabe so that they could both kind of step into it. And the popular interpretation of that was that Natalie Portman was a bad actress. <laughs> and even when I was 15, I was like, I have a feeling about this Natalie Portman person. Like, I think she's going places. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so it was very much as a, as a fandom, we kind of just like drew in and sort of drew our ideas from each other. Um, so it was, it was a bit more self-contained, I think, than, than other aspects of fandom, which is normal. Um, you have like little subsets all the way through big fandoms. Um, but getting to actually put into the book that like, yes, her voice was done on purpose. And yes, you know, the way she stands differently is on purpose. And um, getting to really sort of go into the mechanics of what makes her outfit work. Mm -hmm. um, there's a, and I tried not to be too self-indulgent, um, but it was very hard because there was a lot of like jokes I wanted to make that would be funny to like me and six other people. Um, <laughs> and we did have to cut one of them. I think we cut, we cut the punchline part, but uh, one of my like favorite parts of the Phantom Menace has always been the part where Obi-Wan is like, oh, the queen's wardrobe, but it's not like worth that much. And I was like, have you seen it, dude? Like one, how do you know how much the queen's wardrobe is worth? <laughs> like you are a cloistered monk. And two, in, in hindsight, Satine basically probably taught him. But like at the time, we didn't know that. So um, it was it was kind of funny. So there is a line in, in the book where Obi-Wan is like, how much is your wardrobe worth? And they're like, never mind. <laughs> it would take way too long to explain, but I wanted to give them these moments of calculation where they have, um, they have the time to be like, is it worth blowing one of our secrets to accomplish this? And then eventually it is worth blowing one of their secrets to accomplish what they want. And that's when Padme steps forward at the end. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of progression through the book, it was interesting to write those steps and kind of build up to that as well. Yeah, I always love, I mean, I love the relationship that, um, I mean, the first, like the, the, I think when Queen Shadow first came out last year, was it just last year? Yeah. What is time? Yeah. What <laughs> even is the concept of time? Um, I loved how my Twitter feed was just nothing but like all caps. E.K. Johnson has said handmaiden rights. Like, <laughs> just on, like a loop. Like it was such a like kind of celebratory moment for audience getting to like tap into those characters that like folks love and I do love one of the things I love about Star Wars stories is how on the screen there's such a kind of perfectly assembled series of scrims with like just enough space to really put a lot of reader imagination in like it's there's yeah. a there's a lot of room in the text on screen to then move into other areas it's also one of the things I love the most about Star Wars publishing um but it's, it's always fascinating to me, especially knowing that Star Wars creators tend to be Star Wars fans, right? Like, yeah, it's a, a unique lot. franchise. Yeah. And like, there's a love. You can tell there's like a real like reverence and love for the source material. But I am always wondering, like, OK, how much of that is this thing that like you've been dreaming about or imagining since you were 15? And now you're like, I get to put that in a book. <laughs> <laughs> um, some of it. There's some there's there's definitely some things where I was like, I'm going to do it unless they stop me. And they didn't stop me. So here you go. Um, and now, of course, I can't think of any good examples. But oh, uh, this book, um, Queen's Peril, actually 
um, I pitched it to myself accidentally on a panel at Celebration Chicago. Um, I was doing a authentic history panel and someone asked if there was a story I had found in my research, because um, you have to pretend the history is real, if there was a story I'd found in my research um, that I wasn't able to include the story in, in, the, in the book, Queen's Shadow. And on the spot, I made up this story about them sneaking out of the palace one night to go see um, a boy band concert. <laughs> and how I had it had been mostly out left out of the Queen's records herself, but I found references to it in the disciplinary records of the guards who were supposed to be on duty that night. Um, and and then I was like, wait, I'm gonna have to write that down because I, I think that's good. And so that's sort of where Queen's Peril started was what would happen to them, you know, ruling a planet, but also making the same decisions that 14 year old girls make. Um, and then sneaking out to this concert and then sort of the fallout of that. And then, oh, yes, your planet is getting invaded. You should probably do something about that, too. So the sort of playing with those things back and forth um, has has been a lot of fun. And like the ideas come from the weirdest places, including sometimes like an off the cuff answer <laughs> to a question uh, at a at a con. I love that. <laughs> it's like always be taking notes. <laughs> yeah, always have your notepad at the ready. That's so cool too, though, because like it, it's so cool that you are a fan of this character and then got to write about her. Like that, that type of thing wouldn't, I don't know. I feel like that wouldn't really be able to happen if you weren't a fan first. Like you'd have to do your research and like put the story together. And it's so cool that there are like, things in your brain that you've just been like thinking and loving for like I, I feel like I'm, I feel like you can tell you know when like like fans can tell when a fellow fan is like giving them the content they're excited about which is so cool I, I have got a couple questions that are like did you do a lot of research for this for this book and I'm like if by research you mean have My really entire loved life. this movie <laughs> for the last 20 years then yes <laughs> <laughs> 20 years of research. <laughs> so awesome. I've been training for this my whole life. <laughs> I, love the, I love the Star Wars training montage aspect of this though, right? Because it is just, just like watching this movie again, watching this movie again. I'm on the sofa watching it. I'm on my laptop watching it. Like, yeah. We're well, in all places. I watched, uh, not so much for Queen's Shadow, I watched The Phantom Menace once and I watched Attack of the Clones once and I watched some cutscenes and I watched the Bromlark episode and like all that kind of stuff. Um, but for this one, because so much of it relies on details of the Phantom Menace. Um, I watched the Phantom Menace a lot, like mm. so many times. Um, basically every time I was editing the book, I watched the Phantom Menace as I was going through those scenes, um, just to make sure that I wasn't dropping a character somewhere. And, uh, the the most hilarious part of that was that, uh, the day that Disney plus came out was the day I got my line edits back. <laughs> and wow. so I was like, should I buy Disney Plus now or should I wait until after Christmas? And then my book came back and then I was like, if I buy Disney Plus now, it's a business experience. <laughs> 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 Do I own a DVD of the movie and a digital copy of the movie and a Disney Plus version of the movie? Yes. Yes, I do. But like now you can just click on it, which is which is very handy. So plus there was all the other stuff like The Mandalorian and DuckTales and a million nature, so many nature documentaries. Also, the Star Wars movies got a remaster for Disney Plus that is absolutely gorgeous. I feel like we don't talk about oh. it enough, but like I'm, I've been just sort of slowly rewatching all of the films. You know, sort of like 
I, I was perhaps a little Star Wars saturated over the past year. And so like my own personal Star Wars consumption maybe took a tiny dip, but then I've been re-engaging with them on Disney plus. And like, I was in a group watch with, um, with a couple of friends and we were all just like, wait, this is gorgeous. Has this always been this gorgeous? And we spent the entire time like finding comparison frames because like, I don't know yeah. what they did with it. There's a color grade or something. that's just stunning. I'm never the kind of person that notices that. Um, I'll just assume I have a better television now. Like, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> it looks like this. My TV is just better. Right. Yeah. No, I also spent like a solid couple of months trying to color grade cosplayers, X-Wing fighter costumes. Oh, so man. my degree of empathy right now <laughs> with people. And that orange is a that is to a try to color grade. Yeah. It's really, and um, BB-8. So between BB-8 and the X-Wing um, flight suits, there's like this orange that's not safe for broadcast. And that is just like the hardest thing to make look good in frame with anybody's skin tone or any like naturally occurring background. <laughs> so yeah, there's something about the, the battle sequence on Hoff that I was just like, I see you. I see whoever did the grade on this <laughs> Disney Plus version. And I, I worship at your altar. This is beautiful. <laughs> But yeah, that, that's weird things of art. Can I ask? A, we're at a half an hour, and I know. Um, yeah, I was going to ask if you have more questions. Time. Yeah, yeah. I had, a quick, I had one last question for Kate. I wonder, just because again, <laughs> I, I answered have, myself. I have no plans. I have no plans for the evening at all. Right. <laughs> I, have, I have a gardening consult. I've been soothing Ooh. my tremendous unemployment with like planting, like anything that holds soil yes. at this point yes. has dirt in it, and I've been trying to like Me plant stuff. Too. And so my I container garden is. Also, I have, a, I have a gardening consult because. I also don't know what the hell I'm doing and I'm trying to not kill all my plants. That's my grand plan for today. Kate, my question yeah. for you is actually about YA authorship in a broader sense. Um, okay. And it's sort of about the, the sort of cultural or social significance of writing teenage girls. And I think about it maybe with Ahsoka as a bit of a interesting like launching point because when Ahsoka's character was first introduced in Clone Wars, there was a lot of like kind of pushback against her for being like an annoying teenage girl. Yeah. Um, teenage girldom is often maligned in media representations. Um, and it also just represents such a, um, you know, such a sort of nexus, such a like interesting point of, um, of like, it's an interesting assemblage point for narrative, um, but it has a huge impact on audience as well. And so I'm curious about what draws you to write, um, from the perspective of teenage girls, what feels significant about writing stories with protagonists who are teenage girls? I think just, just to start with Star Wars and then I'll, I'll talk about the rest of it. Um, I, I frame almost all of my philosophy from Star Wars anyway, because it's how I learned to think. Um, Star Wars has traditionally put out note perfect teenagers that everyone complains are annoying. <laughs> so like, well, I wanted to go into Tashi Station. That's like the most realistic thing anyone says <laughs> in those movies. It is perfect 19 year old. I would like to move to a city like and um, the whole of Attack of the Clones where you see Anakin and Padme like horribly try and flirt with each other because they've never done it before. And like it's and then you get the same thing with with Ezra and you get the same thing with Ahsoka and in in YA more broadly, you'll get a lot of reviews where people are like, I read this book and it just felt like 
they were making such bad decisions. Like they did such <laughs> dumb things. And I'm like, were you never a child? Like, have you blocked that part out? Because I was a fairly reasonable child and I did some very, very stupid things. And the, the idea that you have this sort of like, when you're a kid, you have these sort of two forces where it's like, you are aware that like, you know, the rainforests are on fire and racism is terrible and all that kind of stuff that's like outside your sphere. But then inside your sphere, you have like, where are you going to go to university? And like, how are you going to help your parents pay off the mortgage? And like, what about that cute girl in band? Like all that kind of stuff. And both of those problems, even though they're on different, I guess, scales, globally they mean the same thing to you and i think adults forget that and they forget that when you're growing up everything is immediate everything is something that you need to solve right now so you're just as passionate about world hunger as you are about like this particular brand of lipstick and I think people forget that they used to be like that or they view it as a sign of immaturity which is stupid because loving something is never immature. And um, for teenage girls in particular, um, the example that is often given is the Beatles. Mm -hmm. um, like we wouldn't have the Beatles if it wasn't for teenage girls. They would have existed. They would have had some good music, but we wouldn't still have the Beatles as we know them. And I remember when Oasis came out, people were like, oh, they're going to be the next Beatles. And they weren't. And the reason they weren't is that they never got the teen girls. One Direction, on the other hand, yeah. is going to be the next Beatles, right? Like, because they have that, um, that force. When I was on television without pity, uh, as a reader, they were, it was just when American Idol was starting and they used to call it, um, the power of E. So it was like, I can't do it because it makes me feel subconscious, but it's like that really high pitched speaking, like, sound yes. you know? <laughs> and it was like that, that power. And whoever had that power on American Idol went way far, even if they couldn't sing. And mm. so in that power has always sort of shaped. The, and it's funny that that comes from American Idol of all things, although, of course, not because teenage girls love it. Um, the idea that that power of just sheer enthusiasm changed the world. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of love that. And I love making people take it seriously. I love making them look at, you know, the girls they were with maybe a little bit of forgiveness, a little bit of understanding. I love that. I love making people look at other girls and thinking, oh, there is like an actual human being in there who just really loves that. And I shouldn't make fun of her for it. And mm -hmm. um, that's something that I feel obviously quite passionate about. It's been like 10 minutes now, but um, <laughs> the, the idea of, of capturing that. And one of the things that I love about YA is that right now, the stories that we're starting to get, it's not just white girls anymore. Um, there's so many books coming out with black protagonists, um, Asian American protagonists, Korean American protagonists, Japanese protagonists, like all over the map, um, literally and figuratively. And these girls are getting the stories where they get to be the monster hunters, where they get to be the princesses, where they get to be the rebel leaders, like all that kind of stuff. And the, there's still quite a significant way to go, but 
it's definitely something that's starting to happen more and more frequently in YA. Um, and I, I love watching it happen obviously is, is great, but I also love reading the stories because they're, um, they just feel like it's a viewpoint that even if I had considered it before, I had never experienced it. And so getting to read it is just, is just fantastic. I love that so much. That's awesome. Did you have any, uh, any last questions, Annalise? Um, no, I mean, I, I you clearly just sit and like, you know, for like four and a half hours. I mean, poor, poor people in podcast land are like, please stop. No, <laughs> it's, yeah, I feel like, I, I mean, as you know, working, working in an industry with like a lot of fangirls there, there absolutely is that like, you know, it's like young or immature and not the respect of like what that is and what it does and like how powerful and incredible it is. And it's it just, yeah, I could listen to you talk about that all day, which and is I, very, I think it's changing because those girls have started to grow up and yeah. they've stayed in fandom. I mean, they've always stayed in fandom, but now they've got money. Um, now they're doing what you're doing and like writing the books about the and like what Annalise is doing. I, I just remember yeah. one of my, one of my favorite convention stories ever was the first time I went to Dragon Con. Um, I did an author panel. It was like Mike Stackpole, Kevin J. Anderson, Tim Zahn, uh, Claudia Gray, and Delilah Dawson. So it's, it's a fairly big, big deal panel. The room is full of like 500 people. We start the Q&A. It's going really well. Um, and there is a little girl in a Hermione costume standing in the line. And the moderator is doing everything humanly possible to get this child to the front of the line. Um, and eventually she was like, I'm really sorry. I have to cut you off. And Delilah was like, well, can, can the little girl ask her question? And the moderator was like, we are already five minutes over at a dragon. Con they like mm -hmm. throw you out of the room when you're done. Yeah. And so um, we had to close the line. Like the moderator tried so hard. And because Delilah is Delilah, she waved the little girl up to the table. So this little girl in her Hermione costume comes up to the table, stands across from us and just kind of like throws herself forward and is like, are any of you writing forces of destiny? And when can I have more? And I, like, and I was like, Oh my God, this girl who was like nine felt secure enough being a star Wars fan. She was going to ask that question to Timothy Zahn in front of 500 people. Fantastic. I was like, I am so proud of us right now. Yeah. Um, and like, I, I want everyone to feel that moment, both from the like receiving end where you're like, man, we're doing okay. And also be that girl and feel brave mm -hmm. enough to ask that question because it was, it was, it was magical. And it's one of those times, like I tell the story cause I'm like, I, I want everyone to feel that. I want everyone to feel that at home in star Wars. I feel it's like fantastic. that's the perfect story to end on. That's so <laughs> powerful. And I love it so much. Um, for people who are listening and they just want more of the creative things that you both are doing, where can everyone find you and follow you and see what projects you're working on next on the internets? Folks can look, um, follow Looking for Leia on the Twitters at Looking for Leia. We're at Looking for Leia series on Instagram. We're also on Facebook. Uh, and if you go to sci-fi.com slash Looking for Leia, you can watch the whole series right now. Uh, I am at EK Johnston. No, I'm not. I am at EK underscore Johnston on Twitter and Instagram, um, which is where I hang out most often in like a 
coherent sort of way. <laughs> um, I am EK Johnston, no underscore, because they don't let you have underscore on Tumblr, on Tumblr, mm-hmm. uh, where I mostly just reblog things that make me laugh hysterically or things I think are fun. So awesome. Thank you both so, so much for doing this interview. This has been the, the coolest thing. Thank, Thank you. you. It was Thank you both. Fun. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you can head to our archives to hear more or hit subscribe to hear what's coming up next. If you want to go a step above and beyond, you can leave us a review on iTunes, which helps other nerdy people find us. Or you can go to patreon.com slash sartorialgeek to help keep the podcast going and check out the cool rewards that we have over there. Have a great week and stay nerdy. Bye.